welcome to the second part of the Plan Fix 2 episode. Today we chat through different types of fears and the need to just get on and do it. Hi Dad. Hey Beth, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, yeah, very well. I've still got this damn cold, I'm afraid. How was your week? Ah, well, uh, a big week for both of us, really. Yeah. Uh, we celebrated the birth of uh, our third grandchild, your third niece-nephew. Um, both mum and baby doing well. It's been quite the distraction this week, so not a lot else has gone on, to be honest with you, but what a great week. I'm very jealous that you've met her. Can't wait. Soon, I'm going to get cuddles. Did you know that niece and nephew are called nibblings? I didn't know that, no. Yeah. That's a great term. <laughs> yes, you have your siblings and then your nibblings. Is that right? <laughs> Apparently. I don't know, that might be. Yeah, I thought that was a term that one would apply to your constant supply, or my constant supply in any case, of dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> yeah. Those would be my nibblings. <laughs> you don't have any nibblings, so you can have them as your nibblings. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Single yeah. child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah, as an only child, I don't have any nibblings. I've, often, I've always thought of uh, our nieces and nephews that are on your mother's side yeah. as, as my own. Yeah, but, they are. Uh, but it's it is right. It's one of the further consequences of being an only child. Although if your sister's to be believed, of course, Lily will be an only child as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to coaching her in the ways of the brilliance of only child, the only child syndrome. <laughs> Well, yeah, Auntie Deb's lot are definitely all of your nibblings as well. Yes, yeah. Of course, one of my nieces is one of my business partners at the moment, which always gives me a great sense of pleasure to to have the opportunity to to, to work with her and to watch her grow in her role. She get her on. Yeah, yeah, get Lou on as a as a guest guest speaker. She'll tell it like it is. <laughs> definitely, as long as we feed them afterwards, yes. <laughs> they'll be happy. So, uh, what are we going to get into today? Yeah, firstly, sorry again, still still nasal, still got this damn cold. So let's talk a little bit about getting on with your business plan. You've fixed it now. You've been through all of the tests and checks that we've talked about, got over your own fears about the plan, and now you're ready to make the big leap. We're going to get on and execute on this plan. Procrastination in all its guises is the great threat at this stage. To my mind, procrastination is the subconscious taking over your consciousness predominantly from the point of view of fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of failure, the fear of you being insufficiently prepared to take the jump you're being asked to take. Picasso said, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. A bit dramatic perhaps, but I think there's something in that for all of us. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you're ready to execute on your plan, give it a go, just in case tomorrow doesn't allow you the opportunity to give it a go. You know I've been a student of Greek Stoic philosophy for many years now and have been fascinated by the work of particularly Epictetus. He had a saying in one of the books of his that has survived the art of living that I thought we might just recount here because I think it's so pertinent to the whole conversation we're having. Bear in mind this was written 1,900 years ago and if if you get out of it what I get out of it you'll think it was written yesterday. Now is the time to get serious about living your ideals. How can you afford to put off who you really want to be? Your nobler self cannot wait any longer. Put your principles into practice now. Stop the excuses and the procrastination. This is your life. You aren't a child anymore. The sooner you set yourself to your plan, 
the happier you will be. The longer you wait, the more you'll be vulnerable to mediocrity and feel filled with shame and regret, because you know you are capable of better. From this instant on, vow to stop disappointing yourself. Separate yourself from the mob. Decide to be extraordinary and do what you need to do now. I think those are stirring words, uh, very pertinent to today. I, I made one small change in there. I used the word plan where Epictetus had uh, used something else. But other than that, exactly as it was written, and I think that explain what the cost of not getting on with something you want to do mm. is. Yeah. When you arrive at the point of executing on your business plan, moving from entrepreneurial ambition to entrepreneurial execution, then you are at the first point where there will be consequences of your action. Up until now, you've been able to dream and plan, and probably the only consequences might have been a bit of uh, time lost that you would have been otherwise doing something else. If pursuing a career as an employee with modest ambition, but a desire to establish and protect a normal life can be classified as stability and compensation, then the execution of your business plan is probably best classified as risk and reward, a term I'm sure we've all heard many times, but what exactly do we mean? How much risk are you prepared to take is one side of the consideration. How your attitude to risk changes when you have sight of the rewards can also change your attitude to risk. How your attitude to risk changes with the sense of reward that you can achieve by taking those risks is another thought process. I think it's right to realise your life stage and your obligations in determining the amount of risk you're prepared to take. If you're single with no dependents, then bet the bank. Put everything down, have a go, what is there to lose? A little bit of your own discomfort perhaps and maybe a bit of savings, but you can get on with it reasonably risk-free. But if you are um, a family person uh, with dependents upstream or downstream and obligations, a mortgage, etc., you need to think more carefully about your attitude to risk and reward. I'm not saying don't do it if you're at that stage, just to think more carefully about what is it you are prepared to see taken away or given up if you are to fail. Risk in this context is the cost to you of partial or whole failure. This cost may be relational, your relationship with your friends or your loved ones. It may be financial, your lifestyle, your home, your financial security. And it might be reputational, it might be what others will think of you. Those failures are real and people worry about them for obvious reasons. Reward may be financial, getting your startup money back and making an acceptable living or making a better living or even making a windfall if you're able to build and sell your, your startup. They could be societal, you may, may be rewarded by job creation, supporting worthy causes in environmental achievements. And success is a reward in itself, making a difference through your idea or the recognition of your achievement. All of those can be the rewards that can offset the risks. You can't really plan to achieve any specific combination of risk and reward, but your plan should give you some guidance on each of these, such that you can decide that the risk is worth the reward to you. 
honestly, as I've said before, there is a point where you just have to trust the process. It can be debilitating thinking through some of these things, whether it's a guttural feel or just a great sense of I've got to do this. There is a limit to how far you're going to go in assessing the risks and rewards. But there can be no doubt that a well-written business plan, your viability checks, as we spoke about before, can all give you a confidence that might easily be missed. But it has to be accepted that your entrepreneurial journey is going to be at the cost of some degree of security and comfort that you currently enjoy. And you're going to have to know that the wonderful adventure that is entrepreneurship and self-employment is worth it. Fear of failure is one of the great causes of procrastination and consequent avoidance of doing new things that have evident risks. Fear of failure prevents many dreaming entrepreneurs from even allowing their dreams to develop. So debilitating can fear of failure be. It's a paradigm we can easily be wired with, parental or peer group influence being a common cause. It's often predicated in a lack of confidence. Much has been said and written about the fear of failure and we don't need to go into it in great detail here but I think there are three things that will give the risk-averse entrepreneur a chance at overcoming this particular fear. Getting fear of failure out the way is one level of procrastination gone to enable getting on with your plan. Firstly, try to shift your mindset from failure is bad to failure is acceptable. I don't think it's helpful to adopt a mindset of failure is good, as I'm a great believer in we get what we wish for. Your internal narrative needs to be composed positively so your belief system is positive. Failure is acceptable as a mantra enables you to take a risk and know that if you fail, the judgments of your actions will be sympathetic, not damaging or hurtful. If you come this far, you're bigger than that. Secondly, prepare a plan to learn from failure. As I've said above, do not wire yourself to want failure, but work out what useful outcomes will arise should you fail. Experience, understanding, and a realisation that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Lastly, give yourself a break. Be self-compassionate. Be proud of yourself and your achievements and be excited about the future. If you're satisfied that your plans are well prepared or at least prepared as well as you are able to, given the time and resource you've been able to put into the process, then you have the basis of a more relaxed approach to the next step, based on the slack you are cutting yourself. Nothing is going to happen that will harm or injure you personally. For goodness sake, if it is, abandon your plan now and call someone for help. What I'm talking about is throwing off the shackles of self-doubt and that negative dialogue in your head. You are a great person with a great idea and nothing that happens is going to change that. If you have um, a close family or friend that you you trust to be a sounding board for those failures, just getting it out there and having someone that's disassociated, is that a word? disassociated enough with the plan, the idea, the business, whatever, to just give you the facts of that's a silly fear or that's a real risk or yeah someone to really step be stepped far enough away from it to it's it's very important Uh, I think we all need not so much mentors but sounding boards we need uh, people that we can trust the opinion of to help us rationalize our own 
concerns in life and thought processes. Fear of failure is, is potentially one of those. I think a lot of people are embarrassed about talking about this stuff, and that, that doesn't help. I think it, it, we need a, a wider discussion about people's fears and how that is a limitation on how they take their opportunities in life. It's not something I've studied in any great detail, but I think there are interesting parallels you can draw between Europeans and Americans. My limited experience of this is that Americans are, are almost brought up on the basis on have a go. They'll be that they see failure as a point on the path to success, all of them uh, that I've ever met and, and talked about. Um, whereas their European counterparts are so much more conservative, so much more um, risk averse, shall we say, that they are more likely to eschew the idea that they can take control of their lives as far as their work and careers are concerned, or that they could bring their ideas to fruition, whereas the entrepreneurial dream is at its absolute height, its zenith across America from what I can see. I can see this in um, the design world as well. Some people that haven't been to university to study it or not not just interior design, any kind of craft or art or design related business sector where you're, it's your ideas. So like accounting is pretty to the book, you know, like it's numbers. It is, it's all, everyone's going to have pretty much the same outcome with it. Whereas if you give six designers a floor plan and a one paragraph brief it's all going to be different and you see I think when I was an intern and learning the craft those people that haven't been to university and had their tutors tell them that their work is terrible or not on the right path or whatever they haven't started with the criticism that will help them to grow as a designer and I see it in colleagues as well who haven't been interns at crazy companies like I was an intern at um where every it was you know it was a lot of work but we were urged to just design it and then were given very stark feedback on whether it was good or bad and I'm still able to just put an idea out there explain what I've done and take the feedback I don't take it personally because it may be what I like but it's not what the company is doing or it's not what the client will like it's very personal to yeah very personal so I think that's also another aspect of it mm -hmm. yeah very much so yep. yep just now you said rewards offset risk and that reminded me of the story of when you I think it was Dublin or Belfast I'm not sure and your, the person that collected you from the airport had a plan, they had a path and they had a deadline. Uh, would you like to tell that story? <laughs> you don't have to do the accent. Yes, it was Dublin. <laughs> um, yeah, Dublin Fire Brigade were clients of mine, oh, what seems like a lifetime ago now. Wonderful people. And I would go out there on a monthly basis to see how things were going. And I, I was lucky enough to develop a, a, a good friendship with the chief fire officer who was very helpful to me and to the business I was running at the time. And um, it got to the stage where I would arrive uh, on my flight out of London at Dublin Airport. I would be met by uh, somebody who the chief fire officer had sent over to pick me up, usually the, the same gentleman, a station officer who was 
resident in, in headquarters assisting the chief on some project work. And uh, this, this got to the point where I would walk out the front of uh, Dublin Airport and in the area where there's absolutely no parking permitted under any circumstances, there would be a small fire tender with its blue lights flashing and it was actually the vehicle they'd sent to pick me up and I'd jump in it and we'd whiz off. And one particular day we were driving down the dual carriageway on the, along the side of the Liffey, came to a, a halt uh, at a, a side junction on, uh, which was controlled by lights. And I look out the window, we were chatting away, and I'm looking out the window and I can see smoke coming out of a, a waste bin on the corner of the, where the two roads, uh, the junction of the two roads. And um, I didn't think too much of it, but carried on uh, talking. And during the few seconds that we were stationary at this junction, the smoke turned into flames. And now there are people stood around this waste bin, pointing at it, holding their hands over their mouths, etc. Clearly anxious as to what to do. So I said to the serving fire officer who was sat next to me in the small fire tender that we're in, looks like there's a job over there, looks like that's a, a fire, should we not do something? Actually quite excited about the prospect of being involved in putting a fire out, which was um, bizarre at the time. And my driver, with a typical Irish relaxed approach, just turned to me and said, the greater good will be served by me getting you to the chief fast now, somebody else can deal with that. <laughs> forgive the Irish accent but yes that was it and to and, and he sped off as soon as the lights turned green <laughs> um, to get me to the chief on time but uh, but yeah um, he had a plan he fixed it and he did it at all costs and the risk Ri was higher the, 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 that's right the risk to him of, the, of being told off by the chief was higher than letting the, the, the waste bin burn to a plastic pulp <laughs> I love that story. It's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay, so after fear of failure, fear of the unknown is probably the next thing that most people will have to deal with. There has to be a point that you're going to reach in your entrepreneurial journey where the next step is to a lesser or greater degree into the unknown. If you never reach this step, you are probably following in someone else's footsteps. Therefore, you're on a well-trodden path and there's nothing new about what you're trying to do. And there's very little risk you'll take and very little reward that you'll get. The unknown arises when you are doing something you've never done before. And that is where risk sits and consequently reward. Do you remember as a kid when you were first trying to jump in the pool and your brothers and sisters were all jumping in before you and you just couldn't bring yourself to do it and you'd walk away in a huff. And then one day, in a quiet moment, you plucked up the courage and you jumped in and you never had time after you first hit the water to think about all of those anxieties that had filled your mind and that fear of the unknown that you had because you so enjoyed it and you couldn't get out of the pool fast enough to get round to the side to jump in again. It's a similar situation with business. Once you've made that leap, once you've got over the fear of the unknown by making the step into the darkness, suddenly all the light floods on you and you're away so you say when you have the fear of the unknown it's like jumping into the pool but you should reframe it to excitement how do you do that how do you make that change in your head and jump well none of it's easy and that's the recurring theme here I think isn't it is recognizing that becoming an entrepreneur fulfilling your entrepreneurial ambition executing on your plan is not easy this is hard work and there are some very big challenging issues that one has to get through 
I think that the best way to go about reframing a mindset, shifting a paradigm in your mind, and let's take the example of shifting a fear of failure, failure is bad, to failure is acceptable. I do stress again, failure is not good, failure can be acceptable. It's about thinking it through, it's about clearing your mind, sit in the bath, meditate, um, garden, do something or other that takes your mind totally off the subject and reflect on what it is that is really worrying you. Reflect on what it is that you could find as good out of taking the risk and failing. I think also perhaps here recognizing that this idea of failure is something that is within you. It's not an external thing, it's within you. One person's failure is another person's success. Failure can be, or fear of failure, can be all-consuming when it takes a hold, but it shouldn't do. You should be able to find a way of talking to yourself about how you have control over how you feel. And if you've got that idea, as we said, that failure is acceptable, or that you have a plan to use the learning you get from failure, either of those two will give you a more positive frame of mind around a negative outcome of the risk you're about to take. And I think that's the way to get that done. It's not going to happen in one or two hours. It might take you a few sessions to get used to it. And you might want to think it through from different angles. Uh, think about different aspects of your life where you could take risks and what the outcomes of those might be and how you would feel differently if you found risk acceptable and then apply it to your business plan and all of the anxieties you're creating within your own mind around the execution upon your plan. Fear of the unknown. It can also relate to self-doubt about one's own abilities. Basic business management skills, business banking, cash flow, bookkeeping, customer supplier contracts, leasing, employment, HR. These are all subjects which you're going to need to know something about as time goes by. But you may not know about all or any of those at this stage. And that can play on your mind too. This fear of the unknown. Do I have the skills? Do I have the basic understandings of being self-employed and then being an employer through the process of my startup? There's many ways to overcome these particular fears of the unknown. You can choose to study online and in your own time, go to classes, find someone to shadow who's been through it all before. There can also be a sense of fear of the unknown with regards to timing. Is this the right time to do this? Is there a better time to do this, this being executing on your plan? Well, I have to tell you that there never is a good time to do it. If you wait for the best time or the good time to get on with your plan, you'll wait forever. You certainly can expect some degree of accommodation from people who have maybe lived a little longer, lived a little wider and broader and experienced things where a fear of failure was proven to be unfounded. We talked earlier on about maybe finding someone to shadow who can help you with your fear of, of, uh, of failure and they either learnt something from their failure or they found failure acceptable and moved on in a positive frame of mind. As to the idea that somebody who's been through something similar uh, will be more forgiving than perhaps your own peer group who would expect instant gratification or success, largely driven by, I'm afraid to say, the social media habits of the many these days, Yes, there's no doubt that anybody who has tried before and found themselves facing failure 
will be your mentor, will can be your 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 sounding board, and certainly can approach your position with a much more sympathetic eye and sympathetic words than than would be somebody who's never tried it before and and would see your own failure as a metaphor for what they expect to happen whenever they're confronted with risk. I always try when I'm asked to do something that I've not done before or I'm unsure of, just do it, but also have in your mind that whoever's asked me to do it was also in my position at some point. They were all also asked to do whatever they haven't done before. So, And they might have messed up or done it differently. And so it's not, no one expects you to do everything perfect first time all the yeah. time. I think that's a peer group thing, you know, because I think amongst your peer group, there may be this artificial expectation of immediate gratification and success. I read to say that the social social media may have driven that into a certain certainly gen z if not gen x as well i think it's right to say that there are points at which it might be the wrong time to do it things like as we've had in recent years a pandemic or war that creates significant economic instability and fast rising prices one or both of those types of cataclysmic event could cause you to decide it's not the right time to do it but don't look for the right time don't look for the best time because it will never come there's there's no definition of right or best time you need to just get on with it so long as you can't see that there's a reason why you shouldn't as far as timing is concerned as with the fear of failure there are strategies that one can adopt to overcome fear of the unknown there are many good books out there that will help but to my mind the number one strategy I would recommend in reframing your thoughts is to one of excitement about the possibilities in the upside of uncertainty a guide to finding possibility in the unknown Nathan Fur says uncertainty and possibility really are two sides of the same coin well if he's right that means that if you are uncertain about something then you are very close to seeing the possibilities of it rather than being a million miles away which is where fear of the unknown will tend to take you In some cases, there is the opportunity not to jump in with both feet to execute upon your plan, but to take more baby steps towards the fulfilment of it. It might be that you can start to perhaps um, do your idea, make your product, deliver your service on a part-time basis in the evenings and weekends whilst you're still holding down your main day job. Of course, that can minimise the risks of testing your business plan to a certain extent. But I think you're opening yourself up to exactly the same conundrum in making the ultimate jump towards executing on your plan. And you may actually create more problems in trying to take these baby steps. If you've got to a point where your product or service is being taken up by the market and suddenly demand gets away from you you won't be prepared to deal with that demand and you could easily create some kind of negative view of you and your product or service and that could be bad for business rather than good for business and as I say ultimately even after you've taken some baby steps there still comes a point at which you're going to have to turn in your job invest your savings however you're going to fund your startup and just do it and I think that 
baby steps is procrastination. If you're solid on your business plan, then my recommendation is you get on with it on the first opportunity that you have to and find out if it's going to be the right thing or not for you. Don't take those baby steps because I think they're going to have more damaging effect upon your business than necessarily the advantage you might see in not betting everything on it in the first instance. At the end of the day, a motivated entrepreneur is going to work hard, long hours, juggling many, many more issues than they're used to as an employee. As you execute on your plan, you're going to eat, live and breathe it. It's going to be like a new baby in your arms. You'll just be thinking about it all the time. Those are good things. That, to my mind, says that you're approaching this in the right vein. You've got to throw everything at this. Nobody gets anything by luck. This is all a subject of hard work. That's the key thing. Entrepreneurialism based on good ideas is to a certain extent the purview of the few. But executing on the plan, once you've got the idea and you've brought the plan together, execution is within everybody's remit. Anybody can do this. But you have to be prepared to work hard for it. And if you're working hard, working long hours, then you are by the very instant of your use of time, denying yourself opportunities to fester in your own anxieties over these fears that can get in the way. You'll find yourself less likely to procrastinate if you're totally focused on the job in hand. So it's clearly important that you give your complete focus to executing your plan. But in my generation, many people who have different interests or jobs, I'm not sure they would be ready to give all of that up. What would you say? Well, yeah, I completely agree with you. I can see that your generation has these multitudes of interests. Many people have more than one job, of course, these days, rather than thinking of any particular job or career as a job and career for life, just jobs and careers for now, really. There may be room... In the process of executing upon your plan for some side interests, I guess many would suggest that the distraction of some retained hobby or something or other could be a very useful tool to ensure that you're being realistic about the work that you're doing. But I'm a bit old school in this respect, and and I think you've got to throw everything you've got at getting your business to move forwards, executing upon your plan, getting momentum within whatever it is that you've established, getting proof of the concept of your business through the process. And once you've got that momentum, once you've got that sense of early success and proven to yourself that there really is something in this, and preferably once you've got money flowing into the business and profits are coming through and that all-important matter of cash is something that's not a daily strain upon you, then I think there's room for you to get back to side interests, hobbies, thinking about other projects. I think it's wise to consider those to be a part of the success criteria of you having completed the first stage of the establishment and growth within your business rather than thinking that these are things that you can maintain whilst you try and achieve the establishment and early growth of your business. There is a firm line you have to cross to take the risk to prove the plan. Where I see entrepreneurs inventing ways to avoid crossing that line, I see procrastination. The entrepreneur will tell you that this is their first step forwards fulfilling their entrepreneurial ambition, but I see it as not being ready to commit to their plan. At the end of the day, you've got to get to a point where your plan is fixed and you get on and do it. The end. Perfect.
Thank you for listening to our sixth episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week when we start the discussion on entity types, types of income, and considerations of self-employment. Please follow, like, review, and head to our Instagram at tellmeaboutpod and our website tellmeaboutpod.com to keep updated. I have three words. <laughs> I have three words. <laughs> That's all I have. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so bore at moment. <laughs>